You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. Pros like us, number 55, double nickels. We've reached just about the halfway point of the season. A lot going on. we got the trade deadline, injuries, backup quarterbacks winning. But first, Alex has a special shout-out. You know, in the 1990s, the Atlanta Braves were a hot team in major leagues. You know, Bobby Cox, we don't remember that pitching staff with Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz. Steve Avery, Kevin Millwood, and they were doing some great things out there. Last time they won a World Series was in 1995 behind that excellent pitching staff. But this year's team was a lot different. I mean, they were hovering around the 500 mark. It didn't look like they were going to make the playoffs a couple of months ago, but they went on a roll. Their star player was missing. But these Braves, or baby Braves as they call them, they got hot. And the Braves won their first World Series for the first time since 1995, which is, what, 26 years ago. So I didn't like Atlanta because my brother rooted for the Braves. I don't know why he rooted for the Braves. He's not from Atlanta, never been there, never visited. But he liked them. He liked that pitching staff and just wanted to give a quick shout-out because they, they beat the Houston Astros, and they did it in really good fashion. They did, and I haven't followed baseball in years, but I think you know maybe one of the reasons that your brother became a fan is because they were always on TV. I mean, back in the day, now again, he's probably much younger, so this is maybe more of a, a Lou reference, but cable TV was just starting to come into vogue in the, geez, I guess would have been like the late 70s, and Ted Turner was the owner of the Braves back then, and his WTBS and so forth. They were almost like America's baseball team because on WTBS, if you had cable TV, that's who you watch. So Ernie Johnson Sr., I can't remember some of the other announcers, but they were there was a bunch of them. But it made me think of Ernie Johnson, and then he had a little bit of a tragedy, well, not a little bit, a tragedy this week. An adopted son died. And uh, we always saw stories of him, you know, during TNT and so forth. But I was just thinking of all this stuff around Atlanta, the Braves and and everything else. And it just kind of all wrapped into one big thing. So just another shout out to Ernie Johnson and his family. Just, you know, condolences and all the best. He just seems like such a good dude and uh, does a great job on TNT with with basketball and then baseball when he gets a chance to do that and and any other sports. So the Braves winning, maybe that was a little bit of uh, light there for his uh, time of grief so to speak all right so i think alex also has some aches and pains let's do it i've got one big ache one big pain if anybody listened the cleveland browns were my pick to win the super bowl this year well right now they're sitting at four and four their defense has been picked apart at times by teams teams that have scored like 30 35 points on them Mayfield has been up and down this season. It's not a surprise, but Sunday, during Cleveland's final two drives, Mayfield gave the Browns a chance late in the fourth quarter. But instead, we saw multiple drops, a Jarvis Landry fumble, robbed Cleveland's hopes of a comeback, 
Odell Beckham is just not getting the ball, almost like he's not even on the field out there. He's been a total non-factor. His dad has gone on Twitter to basically say that, hey, Cleveland is kind of shutting out his son out of this offense. Cleveland's offense is suddenly a total mess. They can still run the ball, but in this league, you have to throw it as well. And I just think that Cleveland is in trouble. I'm still picking them. I think they're playing the Bengals this week. I think Cleveland will bounce back. But it's just wishful thinking at this point. I hope Cleveland gets back on track. But right now, they're sitting in last place in the AFC North. We will talk more about that during the pick segment. little tease there. little foreshadowing, if you would. But uh, we do have an interview. We have a player interview. So let's go to that right now. He's a wide receiver at the University of Miami in Ohio, the Red Hawks, the pride of Kildeer, Illinois, number 13, Jack Sorensen. Jack, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on. Well, it's great to have you. Some things are, are said about your game. Route running seems to be one of them. When I say route running, what do you think of immediately? I think the first things I think of are like innovation, creativity, uh, physicality, body control. It's kind of someone who can create space when there isn't none. Think of guys kind of who are as physically as gifted as DK Metcalf to guys who kind of have to use creativity and innovation in their route running to get open, like uh, Jarvis Landry or Hunter Renfro. There's a ton of different ways to be a great receiver and a thousand different ways to run a route, but it's using the skills you have. Uh, in the most creative and almost unpredictable ways to try to, you know, get yourself as open as possible. Now, we've got you at six feet, 195. Are those program listings, or is that accurate? You know, the weight fluctuates throughout the year, but yeah, six feet is right about accurate. So what do you think makes you a great route runner? I think what I've done really well is I've understood what my talents are, right? So I understand that I'm really good in game planning throughout a week. Um, I'm really good at breaking down film on a defense, their, their shell, their coverage, and then on DB specifically. Um, and I try to figure out, you know, what are their deficiencies or what aren't they great at, um, whether that's opening right or opening left, or they're not good once you transition past 14, 15 yards on breaking routes. And I just try to figure that out through a lot of film study and then what, what my coaches kind of tell me about uh, the defense through whatever film they watch. And I just try to use that in my game. Um, I understand I'm not the fastest, the tallest, the quickest, uh, the most physical receiver. So um, I got to kind of try to figure out areas that I can win and, and understand my skills and use that against them. Now, earlier this year at your opener, you played against Cincinnati. What do you recall most about that game? Uh, you know, I think it's just a great opportunity to play against really elite talent like that. You know, you had Ahmad Gardner, who I think has been listed to, uh, I don't know how many different All-American lists. Um, there's Kobe Bryant, who's um, another really elite corner. I think he's really underrated. And, you know, just getting the opportunity to play against really good DBs like that and, um, you know, going throughout the progression of the game and having to try to adjust your game to beat really good talent like that, I think that was just a really good learning opportunity and a really good experience for me um, to have against really elite corners. Did you get a sense then that this could be a top five team in the country? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really rare when you go against a defense that's that structurally sound and talented from their back end all the way to their defensive line. And then to have an offense to combat that, um, they have a really good offense and, and, and a really good defense and their special teams does some really, really good stuff too. And I think that's what you need to have, you know, a top five team in the country. You got to have kind of be clicking in all facets, offense, defense, and special teams, and they have elite talent and, you know, compatibility on all of those. 
Jack, was that the most talented secondary that you've gone up against during your career? And how do they match up with Ohio State? I know you played them a couple of years back. Yeah, I mean, it's just different, right? Akuda was way more quick and shifty and tractable than um, Ahmad was. Um, Ahmad's way more physical at the line. And so it's just different types of DBs. And then also just their defensive scheme was so run and done, and we're going to hit you. And if you want to make a catch, you're going to have to play through a bunch of different guys and a bunch of physicality, and we're going to make you earn everything that you get. Rather than almost Ohio State's was, we don't make mistakes. You know, like they are where they're supposed to be, and they're, and, and you know they're going to be there. And, you know, you have to try to devise a plan to get around that. So it's just two different defenses and two totally different types of players and skill sets. Um, but, you know, you're going to see them both in each of their respects at the next level. So it was a good good opportunity to get both of those uh, um, experiences. You've been on a roll lately. I mean, you've recorded three straight 100-plus <laughs> yard receiving games. What has been the key for you during that stretch? I think it's just a testament to the offense. You know, the success of one player is always propelled behind the scenes by the other 10 guys in the field and the rest of the team throughout the week of practice. So, um, you know, during the week I get great looks from the scout team. Um, you know, and what their defense is going to look like, how the corners and safeties and different defensive backs that they have um, are going to play in their tendencies. Um, and I got a great support staff around me from the coaches to my teammates. And, you know, I'm lucky to have great football players with high character in the wide receiver room, like Mac, Jalen, Chris Cav, James, and a bunch of younger guys that are always pushing me to be better as well. So, you know, I think I'm just really fortunate to have coaches also like Izzy and Kaler and the rest of the offensive staff that put me in really good positions and trust me to make plays in the offense. So I think the success that I'm having is really just kind of more of a representation of the efforts that everybody else is putting in. But, you know, it's pretty cool, too. Ben Kimpler, he's a linebacker on your team. He's also from Lake yeah. County, Illinois. Oh, okay, yeah. and for those that are a little geography challenged, Lake County is the suburbs of Chicago, right? Uh, yeah. He's been your roommate for a few years and a former mm -hmm. high school rival, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we we did not like each other before. Just kind of funny because then we went on to have, you know, be roommates for five years. So, yeah, I mean, Ben's been one of my best friends since we've gotten here on campus. Like I said, you know, we've been roommates for five years and he's really been my rock through a lot of different hard times here and has helped me through a ton. You know, I think as far as how much has he helped me in football, he's helped me so much in football because he's helped me so much with my mentality. Um, he's helped me through really difficult times and how to get perspective on things and push through difficult challenges I've had or along the road. And I think now that I don't know if you guys know, but, you know, he's a dad now um, and just seeing the responsibility and the roles that he's taken on through that. You know, it's been a great representation of, you know, somebody I want to try to emulate and somebody I can look up to. So he's been an awesome role for me and just a really, really great friend. When you say you didn't like each other in high school, was there something that happened on the field or what, what's the deal there? No, no. You know, it's something that he went to our rival high school. There's a lot of rivalries that people talk about, but that was like the one rivalry in high school that even the kids that had no reason to hate each other hated each other. Just normal kids that went to the high school. Stevenson and Liberty just don't like each other. So I think from a young age, it was almost like instilled in me that you don't like people from Libertyville. And uh, Ben was, you know, their best player. So it was kind of instilled in me to not like him the most because he was their best player. He never did anything to deserve that, but that was just kind of how it was. And then once I got to know who he really was, I realized that he's all right after all. <laughs> was he your assigned roommate when you got to school? Is that how that happened? No, actually, he reached out to me and asked me if we had a roommate. So we were getting kind of close to that time. I was kind of hesitant at first because I was like, 
you know, I don't really know how we're going to mesh. But, you know, I just I gave it a shot. I didn't really have anybody else that I knew on the team yet. And uh, I needed somebody, so I said, yeah, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, we always hear about how basketball helps football players in their game, especially like wide receivers or tight ends. You also played a sport in high school, but it was lacrosse, and you were a pretty good player back in the day. You actually had a scholarship, I believe, right, to go to play lacrosse. Is that right? Yeah, I did. But, you know, I got lucky playing lacrosse because I got into the sport before people, like, were really very good at it, I guess, in the area. So I was good for the time, but, like, if I went back and tried to play now, I would be very, very average. How has that sport helped you in your development as a football player when you look back on it? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities in the sport. You know, um, it's a very individual sport. When when you look at the battles that you have, you know, you have a one guy to beat to get to the goal, right? And as a wide receiver, you got a DB to beat to get to the end zone. And so that requires different dodging and skills, and that relates a lot to different releases. Um, the receiver position, you need to have great endurance, especially in lacrosse. You got to run up and down the field continuously and be ready to take ownership of a situation whenever it kind of presents itself and that takes a certain sense of endurance and then it's a team sport where you need to depend on everybody to do their job to you know allow you to do yours and that's um, definitely a big aspect of football coming out of high school why did you choose the red hawks uh, i chose uh, miami just because i thought it was kind of the best combination of academic success and then football history um, i think when you look at the people who have graduated with the miami degree um, and the opportunities that opened up to them afterwards, it's it's really hard to find many other schools out there like it. You know, the, the alumni support and the networking opportunities after college uh, with a Miami degree are really endless. Um, and then football-wise, you know, the winning tradition here is really unlike most any other school in the country as well. Um, and the opportunity to be coached by great coaches and, and represent great teams from the past. And then, you know, you get the opportunity to try to replicate and emulate that and then join them in their championship traditions. Um, so I think the combination of both were really enticing and exciting to me. How important is the NFL to you? I mean, it's right around the corner and you're hearing the noise and you're putting up some good numbers and a couple of all-star games are reaching out to you to have you play in them. What are you scouts are out there in the stands? I mean, it's, it's getting closer to that time. I mean, how real is this opportunity? Yeah, you know, I think the opportunity is getting more real, and it's definitely exciting. Funny enough, I got a uh, a letter that I wrote to myself when I was, I think it was like in fourth grade. I just got it. My mom sent it to me, and uh, we had to go through and kind of state, you know, what we wanted to be when we were older and where we think we're going to be in life and all these different things. And, you know, from a very early age, my goal and my dream was to be an NFL player. Um, and that's what I wrote in that paper. So it was just kind of funny reading it, but, you know, as that's getting closer, it's just reminding me that I have to focus more and more on the present rather than like, you know, what I've done in the past to set myself up in a position to possibly get an opportunity to play because there's still a couple more games and there's still things I have to do in college to prove that, you know, I can play at, a, at an effective level in the NFL. And so it's just kind of taking each game, one, one game at a time and, you know, trying to set myself up the best after the season to be hopefully draft eligible and, and if not, then a free agent pickup. Hey, we're going to take you back a couple more years here, Jack. I, I read an article, I think it was in uh, one of your hometown papers, division of the Chicago Tribune, I think it was. But anyway, you were quoted as saying that actually you wanted to transfer during your sophomore year. And I was just curious what kind of led you to feel that way. 
Yeah, you know, I think for anybody that's played a Division One sport, it's a really difficult transition physically, but more so mentally. You know, my, my freshman, sophomore year, I struggled to try to find my identity in a sport that, you know, no matter how much effort or how hard you work, it throws an abundance of hurdles at you, especially early on, you know, going from being a good player in high school and you're back at the bottom of the food chain. It's, it's a difficult and humbling experience that I think was really difficult for me to go through and it was hard to handle, but absolutely necessary. You know, when I wanted to transfer, I was in a really difficult and hard place, uh, you know, surrounded by injuries, self-doubt and a different, and a bunch of different identity issues. But luckily, you know, I had great coaches, a great training staff, a sports psychologist that I could talk to and amazing parents, you know, that listened to me and really helped me through some difficult times. So I'm really thankful for all that every day. So ultimately, what or was there a specific person that you kind of leaned on that, that kept you at Miami? Yeah, I think it was just the understanding that, you know, the difficulties that I'm having in the situation weren't going to go away by me transferring to another school. Those identity issues, the mental challenges that I was going through were going to be there and follow me anywhere I went. So, you know, Miami was the best situation that I had, you know, academically, football wise to achieve my goals and then also support staff. You know, I had people there that believed in me and wanted me to be there. And I just had to get over some hurdles that I was putting in my own way. And, you know, that was digging up some stuff from the past and talking with people that wanted to help and support me to become capable of what I, what I kind of what I'm doing now. And so I realized that, you know, that people wanted to help and wanted to support me. A lot of the things that were happening currently in that situation were self-inflicted. And, you know, I just chose to stay there because I felt they had invested in me and that they were willing to help me through those situations. Well, they always say you can't run away from problems. They're just going to follow you, right? No. Yep, it's very true. All right. In 2019, you guys achieved the, the ultimate team goal. You, you won the MAC championship mm -hmm. game, beating Central Michigan. And you won offensive player of the game. Relive that memory for our listeners because not everybody gets a chance yeah. to win a championship. You know, I think for anybody that, that follows Mac football, they understand how close every game is and how down to the wire the finishes are always. How they're always right down to the wire. So, you know, that game was an awesome picture of offense, defense, and, and, and special teams kind of having to play their roles and depending on one another to do what they needed to do to get a win. And it came all the way down to the wire with Central. Um, you know, so it was just a, it was a great great team win where there's a lot of really great individual effort you know from defense we had Doug Costin and Ben Kimpler and Sterling Weatherford and Manny and Trey Banks and we had all these guys making incredible plays and then offense we had a bunch of guys doing great stuff too so it was a really cool moment where I got to share um, a great moment with a lot of guys that I came in you know when we came in we all had the goal to turn around the program and bring it back to its winning and championship history and it took four years to do it but you know I got a really awesome moment with some of my best friends so it was great. Maction is a real thing. It is, yes. Mark, mark that down. What's the biggest thing you've had to overcome playing football at any level, at any time, outside of the, the transfer situation there, but just playing football? What's the biggest thing you've had to overcome? That's a good question. I think probably the biggest thing that I've had to overcome was realizing that you know success and achieving my goal was going to take a lot of sacrifice and a lot of failure. Um, and that's a difficult thing to understand just, you know, because when I say sacrifice, I'm not talking about, you know, skipping dessert one day or for a week or deciding you're going to stop using social media or something like that. You know, it involves sometimes losing relationships, having people to be mad at you, choosing to spend your time in different ways than other people want you to. And sometimes people don't respond well to that. 
I think that's a difficult and lonely place sometimes. And that's, you know, kind of some stuff that I was going through my sophomore year. Um, but, you know, it, it was the realization that nobody's going to want my dream more than I was. And sacrifice is kind of a key trait in trying to, you know, kind of learning that stuff. And, um, and then also on top of that, you know, failure, being able to fail and being in an environment that's okay to fail from the coaches, my teammates, and learning how to take failure as an opportunity of growth and doing it on the field and in the film room. And, you know, I think that was another really big transition that I had to take was because in high school, you didn't really fail too much. Um, and then in college, you're failing every single day, multiple times, and you got to try to figure out how to learn from those situations and grow from those situations. So, to, so you can reach your potential. And I think that was one of the biggest things that um, helped me was just welcoming failure and understanding how to sacrifice. All right, Jack, you have to help us settle this debate between Lou and I that that's been ongoing for a while. We know you're a big Packers fan. We have to ask you. I mean, you've got one game on the line. You know, the Green Bay Packers have been lucky. They've had Brett Favre. They've had Aaron Rodgers. But if you had to choose one quarterback to play in that key game, who would it be? Would it be Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers? Rodgers, no doubt. So, like, I think that Brett Favre is a great quarterback. Um, You know, people talk about him being the ultimate competitor. But for me, Rodgers has been the most relevant quarterback in my lifetime for at least when I've been paying attention to football. And, you know, I've only really ever seen him be super clutch. And, uh, you know, I guess bar the preseason hysteria this year, I think he's always been extremely loyal and been great to Packers fans. And, you know, I love the guy, so that's who I would choose. But, you know, if you ask my dad or my grandpa, they'd probably choose Favre. Um, But, yeah, I think Rodgers. Can you imagine the Packers without Aaron Rodgers and having Jordan Love start for your team next season? I can't, but I guess – if that's what it comes to, then I, then maybe I know what it feels like to be a Bears fan for a little bit. <laughs> well, maybe you can join Aaron Rodgers wherever he goes, and you'll get to catch some passes from him. Yeah, I hope so. That'd be a dream. That'd be real cool. Obviously, you watch a lot of wide receivers on Sunday, but since you mentioned that you are a Packers fan, I have to ask you about Devontae Adams, a great wide receiver. Oh, yeah. What have you learned from watching him play? You know, I mentioned it before, but I think he does a really good job of understanding how to dissect a DB in the heat of the game. So, like, you know, if you watch his progression throughout a game, his releases change. He's either more or less physical depending on the style of play that, you know, of the person that he's facing. Um, He changes tempo in his routes really well and uses level change really well in routes to get DBs to bite on different fakes. So, you know, I think he's just a really, he's a real student of the game and you can see it, you know, kind of throughout his gameplay. So I just try to watch that and emulate some sort of it and replicate it into mine. Nothing against the Packers, but you grew up in the kind of like the shadows of Soldier Field. How how does that happen? Both sides of my family, they're all from right around Green Bay proper area. So I was kind of born and raised a Green a Green Bay fan. Was it difficult being so close with all those Bears fans? Because that's like that is the rival. I mean, it's you know I don't know that that yeah, it gets any yeah. tougher than that, right? Oh yeah, no, I mean it's fun though. It was Bears fans would wear their Bears jerseys to school. My parents would pull out our Packers jerseys and be like, "Yo, throw them on," you know, "This is how it's going to be. We're not moving anytime soon, so get used to it." But you know, it, it was always real fun. All of my friends were Bears fans and. I was the one guy out out, but we always kept beating the Bears, so it was more fun to be on my side than theirs. Well, as Aaron Rodgers is aptly put, he owns the Bears, so there you have it. <laughs> uh, how do you? How would you describe your game? 
Give us the scouting yeah. report. You're, you've got the scout hat on. What do you have to say about Jack Sorensen? You know, I think I'm realistic in who I am. You know, I know I'm not the fastest, the strongest, most physically gifted receiver that there is. But, you know, I think that where I excel is kind of in the areas I listed above. I think I do a really good job taking the information that our coaches give us, doing my own due diligence on each DB, and then making taking that information and figuring out how to create a game plan with different releases, route concepts, et cetera. Um, you know, I just try to understand what the DB does and then use it to my advantage. And I think I do that pretty well. All right. Very good. That's going to do it today. I want to give you an opportunity here, Jack, if you like to shout out your uh, social media handles, let everybody know, or if you want to plug something, go right ahead. Yeah. So I think, I think the first thing is, uh, you know, I'd love to talk about a foundation that my girlfriend Paige Kaufman and I are starting. It's called the Passion Project. Um, we're working on getting, uh, you know, the rights to ownership and of the name and getting our 501c3 and becoming an established uh, business. So um, we're working on that right now. But kind of what that's going to be, hopefully in the future, is um, an opportunity where we have a board of directors and where people can vote on or, or I guess pitch where they want the focus of the nonprofit to go. And we're going to help in a bunch of different areas every two years. We're going to shift our focus and um, try to help in another area that needs it. So, you know, I think that's something that's really exciting that's going on. And I'm learning a lot about, you know, how to build a legitimate business. And me and my girlfriend are, are really excited about it. So that's going to be up and coming and it's going to be on my social medias. Um, we're going to be promoting that as much as possible and trying to build some hype around it. So my Instagram is just my first and last name, Jack Sorensen 12. And we're going to be uh, putting a lot of stuff in the next upcoming weeks and months on there. Okay, very good, Jack. We appreciate you taking the time excellent project that you've got going there with your girlfriend we hope to read more about it very soon but again good luck the rest of the way and uh, your future endeavors thank you guys i appreciate it thanks again to jack Sorensen, wide receiver of miami ohio obviously we recorded that you know a few days back and last night in tuesday night maction now miami did lose the game they were down 28 13 going to the fourth quarter they end up losing 35-33, but I think maybe some of that pros like us good juju was sprinkled on Jack Sorensen. He went for 14 receptions, 283 yards, and two touchdowns, including an 83-yard catch and run that was in the fourth quarter that kind of got them back in the game. So I'm thinking maybe we have something to do with that. What do you think? I think we did. I mean, he's a great route runner. He knows how to get open. He talked about it in the interview, how he knows that he's not the fastest or the biggest or the strongest guy. But because he studies his opponents, his cornerbacks, that definitely gives him a leg up once he goes and gets drafted or gets picked up by an NFL team. Because during the interview, I mean, I caught myself plenty of times saying, I'm speaking with an NFL wide receiver. He really gets it. And the fact that he's been through some trials and tribulations, the fact that he's been through some ups and downs in his career already, he dealt with it in college. He doesn't need to deal with it in the NFL. When he deals with it, he'll be ready for it. So I'm not surprised at all. Again, I felt like I was talking with an NFL wide receiver. Well, keep an eye on them, folks. And Maction is a real thing. Tuesday and Wednesday nights through the, uh, I think, through the month of November as we go. There's a couple more games tonight as we record. It's Wednesday the 3rd here. But anyway, yeah, Maction, it's a real thing. All right, so we got some uh, 
major injuries over the weekend, which you hate to see because, you know, it's a couple of guys that, well, one for sure is just, I mean, he is the heartbeat of the team. And of course, Derrick Henry, he's one of a kind. There's no one else in the NFL that's that size, that speed, and really sets the tone for his team. You know, when he has off games, just his presence on the field seems like it makes everybody more effective, makes everybody's job easier. Tannehill, A.J. Brown, you know, whoever is on the field, Julio, it's going to be much easier with Derek on the field. And it's just sick to see stuff like that happen. He came back in the game after he was apparently got hurt initially. And then afterwards, they found out there was a fracture in his foot. Just a tough guy. And just for the AFC, for Tennessee, for just football in general, this just sucks. I still like look at that division and the fact that the Titans beat the Colts. I just can't imagine like the Titans letting go of that division. Obviously, it's a huge loss, but I think they're favored to win the division. Like it's a 98% chance, something like that, that they'll walk away and, and win the division of AFC South. The division stinks. I mean, there's no question there. And yeah, they're good enough to do that. It's just, it, you just, for the player, for what he means, I mean, this could have been another back to back 2,000 yard seasons. Just a lot of stuff happening there. But, you know, Tennessee will move forward. They brought in Adrian Peterson. I don't know what he's got left in the tank. He's not going to be a replacement. They'll play a little bit differently. AJ and Julio really have to step up. And I guess it's not so much step up, but stay healthy and stay on the field. Because if those guys are in and out of the lineup, now it's really getting tough. Not so much for the division, but trying to get through the playoffs. Look, the Titans are going to make the playoffs. I just think they're going to be in trouble in the playoffs because, like you said, I mean, Derrick Henry was their entire offense. I looked it up. He was on pace for 465 carries this season. I mean, that's insane. And this year, the one thing that I noticed is he was more involved in the passing game. They were throwing the ball to him more. Adrian Peterson is a nice story, but he's 36 years old. He's been on the shelf since last year, since he was with the Lions. He's not the long-term solution. And Jeremy McNichols, I mean, give me a break. Tannehill has been the king of play action. All right, that's what I call him. I mean, he's the king of play action ever since he came to the Titans. That's his bread and butter. And obviously, I'm hoping that Julio Jones and A.J. Brown step up because that's what Julio was brought in here to do. I hope that they're able to excel because they're going to have to throw the ball a lot more. Their schedule isn't that tough, Lou, I mean, moving forward. They're playing the Rams this week, but other than that, I mean, it's kind of a cakewalk. So I wouldn't be surprised if they still win like 12 games, go into the playoffs, but in the playoffs, it's going to be a tough order. I mean, Vrabel still wants to run the ball. That's just their identity, and, and now they don't have their workhorse, and you know, the Titans are much bigger than just winning the division, right? They've got huge aspirations. I just don't see it, see them you know, losing in the first round of the playoffs. You know, obviously two years ago in the AFC championship game, last year didn't go, you know, as well for them. They had a, it's a lot of setbacks and things just didn't go their way. But yeah, I mean, they, they still have a really good team. The defense seems to be playing a lot better. Bud Dupree's kind of finding his way in that defense. Simmons on the defensive line. I mean, they, they've got some players. Obviously, Landry rushing from the outside as well. If they can get their defensive backs healthy, if they, you know, a little bit more experience and play a little bit better, you never know. Because right now, looking at the AFC, I mean, it seems wide open. 
Okay, from week to week, you know, you think Buffalo is the best team. And then, well, no, Tennessee's the best. Well, now Henry's out. They're not going to be the best team. Is it still Buffalo? Cincinnati, you know, obviously stubbed their toe in New York this week. So, you know, is it them? Probably not. You know, that that was just a timing thing. Again, Cincinnati being Cincinnati, they go into New York and they do what they did. The Raiders overcoming all sorts of odds, you know, losing their coach. Now this this business, you know, we'll talk about a little bit more about Henry Ruggs, but just different things that they're going to have to overcome. You know, the Chiefs are sitting there four and four. They can't seem to get out of their own way, giving the ball away, penalties. So what are they going to be, you know, moving forward? The Ravens, we thought they were a really good team and they still are a really good team, but not that good when you get rolled at home by the Bengals. So it just seems like everybody's beating one another and no one's really separated. And thankfully, we've got eight or nine games left, depending on whether you've had a bye or not. So anyway, the AFC is a little little messy. I think Tennessee has as good a chance as, as anyone. Not as good when they had Henry, but so in the NFC, New Orleans, who seems to be now at least regular season Tom Brady kryptonite, they lose Jameis Winston. And again, you just feel awful because here's a guy that's kind of changing the way he plays, changing his mindset, kind of working through all that stuff, starting to kind of get his feet under him and bang, torn ACL, done for the year. Just sick, sick for Jameis. You know, New Orleans looked great on Sunday, but uh, again, that kind of casts a pall over the team. But again, they're good enough. They can recover. And let's see if Sean Payton can continue working his magic with whatever quarterback he throws out there. Obviously, you feel a lot better with Jameis being there instead of, you know, the combination of Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon. And it looks like Taysom Hill is going to play, even though he was he was away for a couple of weeks. It was weird to see Trevor Simeon under center winning a game. But I guess, I mean, it's all about backups stepping up and just delivering in this case. I believe in the Saints defense. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. This is a really good defense, and they're just going to have to carry the day. They're going to have to rely on Kamara a lot more, even more than they are right now. I think Michael Thomas will help. Once he comes off, once he gets back on the field, he'll help whichever quarterback is going to be under center. Again, whether it's going to be Hill or Simeon or the combination of two. I didn't pick the Saints to be in the playoffs, but I'm a believer in Sean Payton and I'm a believer in that defense. I still say that the Saints sneak into the playoffs is probably like the last wild card team. Well, we're going to talk about trades in a minute, and I think one of the more under-the-radar ones, it didn't seem like a big deal then, but is, I think, going to be a huge deal moving forward for this team is them getting Mark Ingram back because you saw it just, I guess, just the feeling, having him in the locker room, but he was effective on the field, too, for those you know few plays that he ran against Tampa Bay. And I think he just kind of brings the team together. It just seems like there's a, a little bit more juice you know, to the offense. Now, this just in, or maybe a little earlier today, Michael Thomas has now been ruled out for the season. I guess he's had some issues with the recovery, and now he won't be coming back. So that's another blow to the Saints. And I think I almost had like an out-of-body experience or like a, like a flashback. I was flipping through games, and I didn't see the, the Jameis um, injury. And when I flipped to the Saints and Bucks, I see number 15, behind center and and i guess if you're really old you recall 
that Drew Brees wore number 15 at Purdue, and they kind of had the same colors, kind of like gold and black. And it was just like, oh, my God, who is that behind center? They brought Brees back. Wasn't he just doing the Notre Dame game yesterday? Trevor Simeon, I think, is going to be the starter moving forward. I think Taysom will continue to play his role. He'll have his package of plays, goal line, short yardage, and an occasional just change up. You know, Simeon's going to you know, manage the game, get the ball out of your hands. Would have been a lot easier with Michael Thomas. And I think maybe there was some hints to this yesterday when there was some reports that New Orleans was in discussions or at least in some sort of form or fashion to make a trade for OBJ. Now, again, that was just a report. I don't know how true it is. Perhaps they knew then that Thomas wasn't going to be available. And that's where that story came from. But yeah, just another blow to a, looks like a team that was starting again, starting to get their feet under them, understanding who they are, but I've got every faith in Peyton. Of course, they're not going to make a deep playoff run without a top-notch quarterback, but they're certainly going to make a lot of noise and make some teams sweat. There was another huge trade. The Los Angeles Rams basically going all in if they weren't already. I mean, they just made a statement, I think, during this trading deadline. You and I talked about it last week. Is it Deshaun Watson? Is it the cornerbacks that the Miami Dolphins might be dangling? Well, you know what? The Denver Broncos made the trade and, and traded away their franchise edge rusher and Von Miller, who's been kind of the face of that team for the last decade. And the Rams gave up a second and a third round pick. And Les Snead, once again, is showing everyone I don't care what happens next year. I'm willing to mortgage the future. We're chasing the Super Bowl. The Rams want to play in their home stadium in Los Angeles in 2022. I was going to say that, okay, he's a little bit older, not the Von Miller that we know, but they don't need him to be, right? They just need him to be even 80% of himself because you know when they run certain packages, the, the Rams defense, when they like will put... Aaron Donald and Floyd on the same side, almost on the tackle and obvious passing downs. You know, obviously the entire offensive line slants that way. Now all of a sudden you throw Von Miller on the other side, getting singled up. That's going to be a problem. I don't care, you know, how old he is or whatever. He's going to, he's going to make some noise. And I agree with you. They're going all in as far as Denver's concerned. They're still paying Von Miller, the large portion of Von Miller's salary, I think nine million of the nine point seven for the entire season. But they get a second and a third right back. They're thinking maybe, okay, we need to make a run at a quarterback in the offseason, whether it's Rodgers or Deshaun Watson, uh Russell Wilson, if he, you know, again, that situation gets blown up. From their perspective, yes, he is the face. You hate to do this, but they only have so many chips that they can trade little older, maybe that was just a, a good way for them to, again, stockpile some picks. And I guess just move on from one of the greatest players they've ever had. Well, I mean, at this point, they weren't going to resign him, Lou. You know, we're talking about him being older, but I'm looking at the stats. I mean, he's got... I think he's seven, 32. He's got seven tackles for loss. He's got nine quarterback hits. 
and he's got four and a half sacks. That's not bad considering that he's yeah, he going doesn't to, suck. No. <laughs> considering that he's going to a team that, you know, still has Aaron Donald up front. They've got Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey in the secondary. They've got star players on all facets of every that level. defense. Every level, every on offense, defense, special teams, they are this is it. They, they are built to win now. If the Rams don't get to a Super Bowl, that's going to be as disappointing as it gets. If McVay isn't in the Super Bowl, forget about winning it. If they don't get there, I don't know. I mean, you've basically mortgaged your entire future. The see. NFC is going to be a bit of a gauntlet, don't you think? I mean, because, I mean, obviously you've got the Rams, but you've got Arizona in that division who's already played and beaten them once. We talked about, I mean, Tampa Bay, they're going to get things right. I mean, obviously, you know, for some reason or another, New Orleans seems to be their their kryptonite, but only in the regular season. They did beat them down there in a playoff game last year. But, you know, the Packers, the Cowboys, on any given day, I mean, you can't. Yes, the Rams are stacked. Yes, this is it. And you they have to get there. But, man, it's not going to be it's not going to be as easy just rolling out and playing a good game. You, you got to play above the X's and O's. You got to have a little luck going your way. So I really applaud for what they're doing and how they manipulate the cap. Yeah, the NFC just looks like it's going to be a gauntlet. It's going to be a great playoffs. It's loaded. Yeah, that that side of the field is loaded. And the Rams just unloaded Deshaun Jackson. In the beginning, it looked so promising. He had that big game. And he just hasn't been getting the touches because Van Jefferson has stepped up. And they wanted to trade him. I guess they weren't any takers we'll see if deshaun jackson will catch on with some playoff team he's going to tampa bay wouldn't he he's been there but not with tom brady he if he catches on something it's going to obviously it's going to be with a playoff team or a, you know obviously a team that's pointing towards the playoffs but he wants an opportunity to play where would that be i mean if we just had to guess not we won't take much time with this but just would if you had to guess i mean you talked about the saints why not take a chance there I mean, they're desperate at wide receiver. You said that Michael Thomas is out for the season. He's not coming back. They don't have a legitimate wide receiver. What do they have to lose? They don't have to sign Deshaun Jackson to a a huge salary. I mean, they'll commit to him for a little bit. Why not give it a shot? I mean, he can still stretch the field. Him and Deontay Harris, Marcus Calloway. You mentioned that they were in like OBJ talks, if you believe that. I say the Saints. The Saints have got to do everything in their power to improve their wide receiver core. Yeah, I would say the Saints, the Packers. Yeah, I don't know if he, you know, would fit that culture. I don't know if uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to have that much pull. Yeah, I mean, th- those teams certainly would and should be in the hunt for him on the AFC side. Yeah, hard to say. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously the, the Chiefs brought in Josh Gordon. They're still kind of working him through the system and trying to get him more snaps, but he really hasn't been that effective yet. He's got a history with Andy Reid, but you know, you can't just keep bringing in more players. I mean, they have more problems than that. You got it there. I think it's going to be the Saints, the Packers, Tampa Bay. I was just joking because they just, you know, whoever Brady wants, they just go ahead and bring him in. But I don't know if that's the way he wants to go. A.B. will be back and they'll be fine. Why not the Raiders? Because the Raiders are just going through some drama. They've just released their right. you know, former first round pick, Henry Ruggs, who was that deep threat, who was stretching the field. Yeah. He had like over 20 yards per catch and he's starting to realize his potential. Now he's been released by the Raiders and the Raiders just can't catch a break. So, you know, Deshaun Jackson might be that solution to replacing Henry Ruggs. 
he's a Cal guy. You're a Cal guy. Come on, let's make this happen. Mike Silver, get get everybody involved. Push him to the Raiders. Uh, he just seems like he should be a Raider, doesn't he? Is he a Mike Mayock guy? That's, I think, what we really have to answer. No, but I don't think Henry Ruggs was a Mike Mayock type of guy, and he still made it no. on the squad. Gruden's gone now. So, again, you just have to look at May. Now, Mayock is a Philly guy. Obviously, Djax did most of his damage you know, for the Eagles, so maybe there's a connection there. We'll see. But, yeah, the Ruggs situation, again, re- really disappointing. You hate to see this because – somebody's dead it's just you know irresponsibility and again i don't know if it's you know is it the bye weeks is it just the fact that he you got a team in vegas now and it, but you can get in trouble anywhere so i don't i don't really buy into that from reports i guess sometime before the crash he was going like 156 miles an hour the the airbags deployed at, at 127 127 miles an hour he was like twice the legal limit. So, and then somebody died, killed someone. It's just hard, you know, for the, the NFL to keep absorbing these black eyes because it seems like obviously these stories seem to get a hell of a lot more run than the good things that most of the players do in the community. But when this happens, now all of a sudden, just everybody's ears perk up and eyes perk up and like, what are they doing? They've got, oh, there's a bunch of hugs and everything else. Yeah, I just feel, obviously, feel bad for the family of the, you know, the girl that was driving the other car. The Raiders just can't catch a break this year. I mean, they're always in the news for the wrong kinds of reasons, but the team is playing well. I mean, despite this, even before... They are, that's it, yeah. They're thriving. Their defense is playing better. Something that we had questions about going into the season. Derek Carr is having his best season up to date. I mean, he's just thriving in that offense, and he's spreading it around to different wide wide receivers. And now you you've got Still Waller and Hunter Renfro, and you've got Brian Edwards. That's probably been the biggest part. They got rid of most of their guys on the offensive line, but this team is thriving. I mean, Josh Jacobs has been banged up. The Raiders just seem like one of those teams that's destined to make the playoffs, regardless of how bad things are going off the field. All right. Well, we're going to have more backup quarterbacks this week. Uh, Mike White did it to Cincinnati. I mean, he's going to get another shot. Cooper Rush, you know, again, you would think Dak will play, but, you know, if Cowboys are going to be very conservative about this, they got a couple of easy games coming up before they play the Chiefs. We may see Cooper Rush a little bit more. We already talked about Trevor Simeon. Geno finally wins a game. Kyler was a, a, a little iffy. Maybe Colt McCoy plays. By gosh, Damn COVID, but the silver lining might be Jordan Love will get his debut starting in the NFL real game at Arrowhead Stadium of all places. Aaron Rodgers test positive for COVID. He's out for at least 10 days. And here we go. Jordan Love, it's time for your close-up. Alex, what are we going to see from Jordan Love? A lot of interceptions on both sides of the ball. Not so rosy on Jordan Love coming into the draft. I don't believe that the Packers will be better off moving on with Jordan Love in the future. 
I think he's going to struggle. But you and I talked about it in the summer, the importance of having a good backup quarterback, a guy that you can rely on. And right now we're seeing it. So many quarterbacks are going down for different reasons. Somebody with the ACL, somebody due to COVID, somebody due to some other injury. And these teams are still winning. And the NFL teams, they should invest in like two or three quarterbacks. Forget about just having one backup. Have a strong third quarterback as well. And you're seeing the importance of it play out. Well, the Packers are going to have to bring somebody in because uh, their other backup, Kurt Bankert, he also tested positive for COVID. So hopefully Jordan Love is healthy and and able to play in that game, and they're going to have to bring somebody in. It's just amazing watching it. And and that's the thing that I think we tend to forget as fans because, you know, maybe the backup is just a backup. You know, he's not just some scrub. He is an NFL player. I mean, he's worked his ass off to get to this point and is good enough to play. He just hasn't had an opportunity. Like you said, I mean, we're seeing it. I mean, Cooper Rush, did he look like – I mean, he looked great. You know, yeah, he had some rough spots. He had some bad plays, but he hasn't played either. So these guys, you know, come in just about cold. I mean, he had a week of preparation. Maybe he knew he was playing. They were pushing the DAC thing up through uh, kickoff. So kudos to all these guys because that's got to be a tough job, being ready to be the guy and just never knowing when it's going to be your turn to go in. And these guys have performed, and let's see what happens uh, you know, moving forward. But, uh, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep happening, and you got to have that guy behind the guy. All right, the pick segment. Not a good first half of the year for me in the picks. I think we're at 12 and 17. Just ugly, 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 ugly. Uh, Buffalo minus 13 and a half. That was a lucky cover. Uh, I mean, for those of you that wait till Sunday to bet, like most people do, you may have gotten a push out of it. That line did go up. Uh, We'll take it as a win because that's what we have to do. The uh, Cleveland minus three and a half. Alex talked about that game. That was a mess. Uh, the Chargers, I don't know what the hell I was thinking about there. Minus five and a half, and Belichick did Belichick, and of course. And uh, I mentioned, you know, without Dak, don't even mess with that over-under. So anyway, we ended up one and two. Uh, Alex, you had a lock. I think maybe you did better than me. Yeah, the Cowboys covered. They won, even with Cooper Rush. But I'm going to go with your L.A. Chargers, Lou. I'm a believer in them this week. I think they're... Minus two and a half on the road. It's not an early game. It's not a 10 a.m. game. It's a one o'clock game. So Justin Herbert didn't look good against the Patriots. He hasn't looked good for like two straight weeks. Yeah, I think against the Patriots, he was picked off twice. His completion percentage was, I think, around like 50%. He's not going to have another bad week, especially against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the Eagles are riding high. They beat the Lions. So connect the dots there. The Chargers didn't play well. The Eagles played well against a bad team. So I'm picking the LA Chargers on the road to cover minus two and a half. I think that's an easy lock of the week. Mortgage your house. This sounds more like a lock of the year uh, to go that far. <laughs> I'm telling anyway, you, I got, mortgage. I've got them for the record. It's minus two. So leave it at that. Actually, it might, uh, it'll probably fluctuate before, before Sunday. But at this point, we'll just mark it down for the record. LA Chargers minus two. 
I've got uh, another four games and uh, throwing darts here. I'm going with uh, the Ravens coming off the bye. I think they're going to have that bad taste in their mouth, you know, from the Cincinnati game. They're going to take it out on Minnesota. They're at home, minus five and a half. I'm going to go, and a little, the tease was Alex talking about Cleveland and coming back. I'm going to go with the Bengals to bounce back from that Jets game. It looks like the line's down to two and a half. The Bengals are favored. They're at home. The Browns are just discombobulated a little bit on offense. I don't want to just say, well, it was just Pittsburgh defense, whatever. Alex alluded to it. I mean, he even had Jarvis Landry dropping balls, which never happens, right? But anyway, I'm going to stick with Cincinnati to bounce back. Uh, I'm going to go with your Niners even at home against Arizona. Uh, there's a chance that Kyler may not play, but even if he plays, I think San Francisco is going to, they're just moving in the right direction. I'm going to go with Jimmy G. Just, I just have a feeling on that one. And then the last one, the ugly game of the week, there might be a huge overreaction to, to Pittsburgh winning a couple of games. I'm not feeling it. And yes, I'm going to go with Coach Nagy just for Alex here this week. The Chicago Bears plus six and a half at Pittsburgh. Did you see how Justin Fields and the Bears were playing without Matt Nagy on the sideline? I watched it because it was against my Niners, Lou. I don't know. Fields looked pretty damn good. We talked about it last week, him not being a Lamar Jackson. Well, there are a couple of moments during the game that he looked like Lamar Jackson. That snap that he caught, and then he just outran everybody to to the edge, and that was freaking incredible. I just want to see he's, more Justin Fields a, moments. He like is this. he is a quick guy, and I think you know making plays like that is going to be his bailiwick. I just in, the only my concern was last week was going a little over overboard with designed runs for him, maybe three or four a game, if that. Uh, but I think Laser called a good game, and Justin is getting more comfortable in that offense. We'll see. You know, if it goes back to like the, the Cleveland plan this game when Nagy's there, then we'll know for sure that Nagy's just lost his mind and doesn't know what the heck what the heck he wants to do with the kid. But uh, yeah, I think Laser did did well, and Justin is getting more comfortable, and he played a great game. Now they lost, but Jimmy G playing back in Illinois. He was fired up. He had two rushing touchdowns. Do you feel better about Jimmy G now moving forward? I think you just jinxed my Niners by picking them against I the picked Cardinals. them. You jinxed them. I mean, there's no way that they're beating the Arizona Cardinals. No way no they're going to win now. No way. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping it's Colt McCoy on the other on the other side and maybe we get a, a Trey Lance sighting at some point, maybe like on a goal line package or something like that. Thanks to our guest Jack Sorensen again. Uh you're welcome Jack for, you know, we gave you the pros like us juju. EJ Perry's been balling out for Brown, you know, everybody. It's just pros like us. It's what we do. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you have, thank you very much. We'll thank you in advance for your subscription if you haven't. Let's get out of here, Alex. Let's do this. We are done. Till next week. He's Alex. I'm Lou. Peace.